went tonight. It's good. It's always good to see you guys here. Um, I brought my couch. I'm feeling a little tired, so uh, no, I don't feel that tired. But and this couch doesn't—it's pretty pathetic. Don't judge me, and uh, it's too small for me as well. But that's okay. Uh, I wanted to bring the couch out. Um, there's this sort of uh, kind of goes back a number of years, but when you are seeing a psychiatrist, you lay on the couch, right? And it sort of symbolizes that. And, and the reason I want to do that is not just an introduction to tonight's message, but as one for this whole series in Lamentations in the next five weeks. Because, um, and please understand me, I think there's a real place for psychiatric care and counseling. We even have a counselor on our staff. So talking to someone uh, it's, it can be hugely helpful, and God blesses us through that. But in America and in the West in general, not just America, but, but really our culture, especially now, there is this idea that when we have a grief, we have a problem, we have something like that, we want it fixed like that. Amen? I want it fixed, right? So if I go to a counselor, maybe she'll tell me the right thing, or her, she'll tell me the right thing. If I, or give me the right pill, or uh, if I go to a pastor, just, just tell me how to fix it, and some things can be fixed, but even then, not usually very quickly. And some things are not meant to be fixed that suddenly. But we, we're kind of like, there has to be an app for that, right? Just give me the right app. I can, I can fix this problem. So it gets worse as, as we go on in our, our culture. And in the Bible times, in their culture, the Lamentations, they didn't look at sorrows like we do. Um, probably because they didn't live in the modern world where a lot of problems could not be fixed. And so they f- believed strongly in feeling your way through. Like I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. My, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. So, so this idea of I, I might not be able to fix this, but I'll get through this. And Lamentations is allowing ourselves to feel through a time of sorrow or pain. Even if you look at like um, tonight, we're going to look at we caused it, right? Sometimes we cause our own valley with our own sin, and that's what's going on here. Even then, we can look to God and we can cry out to him. So it's not going to be a quick fix always, but we can still look to God alone. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I thank you that you've put this Um, on my heart, and I think um, just for the right time, a time when all of us are lamenting (laughs) about lots of different things for good reason, Lord. Father, I pray that tonight in this series, Lord, would not just teach us about lamentations, but it would help us to learn how to. And I acknowledge that I grew up in America and in the West, just like most are all here in, in and God, it's, um, it's, not, it's, it's not second nature to us. We want fixes. We want answers. And sometimes those we have to wait for. And Lord, teach us how to look to you and how to do that. It's in the Bible for a reason. And so I pray that you would do that. You'd do your work tonight as we look at confession and lament. That, that you would teach us how good that is for our soul. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so... Uh, we're going to uh, look for the next five weeks, as probably all of you know, uh, 
the five different laments, and they're all, it's pretty easy, and they're all one chapter at a time. There's five chapters. And it's always good to bring your Bibles. I'll put it on the screen, but some, you know, probably even the third one, I won't put all the verses on because it's 66 of them. So uh, I can already tell you're not coming in two weeks. It's okay. I'm not going to do what I normally do. Again, this is meant to feel. So some of this stuff doesn't need to be uh, torn apart, like, say, you know, the book of Romans or something like that. It's meant, it's poetry, right? And so we always say the context is everything, and it really is important here. Lamentations is not meant, it's, it's written by many in history have said by the prophet Jeremiah, but we actually don't know that. It's anonymous, technically. It's never identified as an author. Um, so w- what we look at, is, it's, it could be Jeremiah, or it could be one of his peers. It's almost definitely someone who lived in that time. And that's the time, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about when Babylon came to town, right? And, and so the context of this is after the exile and the temple's been destroyed and people have been killed and the siege is over. Because remember, prophets like Jeremiah had spent generations saying, you, you, you got to turn back to God. You've got to uh, uh, stop betraying the covenant you have with him. He's not going to be patient forever. And they just kept thinking, oh, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We're fine. They didn't listen to the prophet. So it came closer and closer. He says, now God is going to judge you using a foreign nation. And it's going to be Babylon. And, and they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. So in like 605 B.C., they did come. Nebuchadnezzar came with the, his armies. And they, they basically still let them be. They took some in exile, but they set up a puppet king, right? And, and Zedekiah is his name, and they put him on the throne. But they had to give great tribute to Babylon. So basically, they had no independence, but at least they still had their temple. They said, right, and so for a little while, that worked, but, but the puppet king got a little sure of himself. So he started looking to allies, especially Egypt, and said, we can defeat them. Even though the prophets had said, no, because they're ultimately God's tool to judge you. And so they stopped paying those, the, those tributes, and, and Nebuchadnezzar came back to town and with his armies. And it was about an 18-month siege where there was famine and there was hunger. And in Jerusalem, there was so much. There was cannibalism going on. It was a horrible time. And finally, it was breached. And, and the armies come in, and they crush and destroy and kill and bring a lot of the priests and leaders into exile, leaving the city barren with some people, but just like worst case scenario, okay? And so this, and Jeremiah, we know from his book, right, he had been there in that time and he didn't get to go in exile. So he saw like this, so it could be him. It's really not the point. The point is someone wrote these, these poems, and they are. They're acrostic poems. You don't see that in English. And what that means is you start every line by the next letter of the alphabet. So for us, it would be A to Z. The Hebrew, they have 22 letters. That was written in Hebrew. And so the first, second, and fourth uh, of these laments are 22 verses, each one of them starting with the, letter, the, the next letter in Hebrew. Because we don't really know why, for memory perhaps, a lot of times they didn't have this written down, or some think it was to take an incredibly chaotic situation and try to bring some order to it in this poem. 
But the cool thing is, so the, the, the third poem, as I already kind of mentioned, has 66 verses, but every third verse starts with a different letter. So it's still acrostic, but it's each section is, right? But then to me, and I'm just kind of a nerd, I guess, but the fifth one I find fascinating because it's 22 verses, but it's not acrostic at all. And some are like, why not? And we don't really know. Some have said maybe it's that sense of control, again, spiraling out of control, for this is a poet after all. And so we love those kinds of symbolism and, and feelings. But tonight we see these 22 verses, and it's written, and we're going to see he uses personification. But if you, you look with me, um, and I'll put it on the screen as well. Verse 1, he says, How lonely sits the city. That was full of people. How like a widow has she become? She who is great among the nations. She who is a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers. She has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. And so this is what you might remember from English class, right, is personification. Taking the city Jerusalem and and the place of Judah, right, as as uh, uh, and, and really the people as a whole, and personifying, giving them human actions and emotions. And so in this case, it is a weeping woman, right? And and the picture is it's nighttime, there's no friends, there's no one to comfort, and she is utterly desperate on her knees what has happened? Where do I turn? There's no friends. That would be Egypt or some of the other allies that never came through. They never helped. And so there's no more supposed friends. There's no more of those kind of earthly solutions. Desperate before God is the city of Jerusalem. And so already you got this, you feel the weight and, and, and this, this lament is, is, is meant to help you to, to feel that. And he says that, um, Judah has gone into exile because of affliction, hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. So they, they, um, right from the promise of Abram uh, and Abraham, as he became, uh, God gave him a new name, and then when they were enslaved in Egypt, the promise, the covenant of Moses was tied into this promised land where Judah was, where Jerusalem was. And it was always huge for them, right? The promised land. God will never take that from us, right? And yet they're scattered amongst the nations. And so that is horrifying to the people of God. Verse 4, the roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. This is the scene of Jerusalem. First, you can kind of picture in the past, the feasts like Passover or Pentecost, right, where, where people, travelers will come along. And, and you know how we do holidays? We stink at holidays in comparison to them. Like they would spend weeks and they'd come from all around. You'd see people, you'd eat, you'd worship. It was always this huge bustling city of celebration and excitement and crowds of people. And yet now, because of this, because of God's judgment, it's empty. There's no one to come. And the city is just empty where it was once full. 
don't know if you've ever been somewhere where it's like, it used to be full, but now it's empty, and the sadness of that. I didn't tune into too many games this summer because they weren't very good. But when I did watch the Red Sox and see Fenway Park with nobody there but players, that was sad. I've been there many times as a kid with my, my dad and my family and, and in college because I went to school near Boston, went to a lot of games with friends, such great memories, the crowds and the fun and all of that. And um, even when I worked in the Boston area, sometimes I'd even go by myself. And it was just so many memories of that. And not just because of baseball, but you, the, the, the fun and you're cheering and you see the green monster and all of that. To look on TV and see it empty, that was sad. Sad. This New Year's Eve, looking at, uh, you know, the Times Square, right? You're used to seeing, I've never been there, don't plan on it. But you're used to seeing all these people, right? I mean, they still did this music and Seacrest and all that stuff and the ball. But how sad was it to see hardly anyone there when it normally is? This is the lament. I've talked to older people who remember their homes full of kids and all that goes with that. But now that's past. And even though that's how life goes, it's sad. Where once it was full and now it's lost. I remember when my mom died and she died suddenly. And the next day going to where they lived and and walking in and seeing signs of her everywhere. But she wasn't there. Right? There's just something about that loss that this lamentation, this writer of lamentations is feeling. The groan and the stress of, look at the city. This is not how it should be. Many of us right now feel this is not how it should be, right? And yet we lament. And, he, and he, uh, the, the writer continues, verse 5. And this is really important for our subject tonight, as you see the first hint of confession. He says, her, her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her. For the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone away, captives before the foe. So even though we're in pain and we're, we're desperate, we're acknowledging here that this is because of the many afflictions of God's people. They were warned. They turned from God. They sinned. And this is God's judgment. Right? So this weird dichotomy of crying out to the God who's judging me. Right? And it's kind of weird. But it's exactly what's happening. And you'll see that through the rest of it as well. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. So their leaders, Zedekiah and others, they had run away like deer. Deer are not predators. They are prey, right? They are on the run, and that's what our great leaders of Jerusalem are now, have now become. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. See, everything is turned. It used to be that the enemies were scared of Jerusalem because God fought for Jerusalem and Judah. But now it's reversed. They mock Judah because God fights against them in judgment. Verse 8. Jerusalem sinned, uh, 
sinned grievously. Therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despised her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. So now you have that woman who's kneeling there, but now it's worse. She's in shame. She's, she's naked, right? She was once royalty. She was once married. Now she's a widow, and she's weeping, and she has no friends and no comfort, and she's in shame because we've introduced the whole idea of sin, And that's why she is where she is. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. I won't go into that, and you'll be glad I don't. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. Oh, Lord, behold my affliction. So this turns, right? Now the woman herself, or the city, is starting. It was a narrator, and now it's the, the, those who are lamenting. And it's in the, you see the quote, Oh, Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. It's like, yes, it's deserved. We've sinned. We've blown it. But, oh, Lord, behold us again. Right? Like, like, look at us again, Father. Even though we deserve your judgment, God. Even though we, you are right, it's, it's still impossible to deal with this. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary. Those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. So they violated the temple, right? That's what they're getting at there. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. So there it is again, the picture of desperation. They have to give the greatest treasures just to get some bread. They're starving. They're hurting. They're on their knees in desperation. And they, they deserve it right? Because it's judgment. It's right judgment. But there it is again. Look, O Lord, and see. See me, God. Just see us again. Just start there, right? You just feel there's nothing specific. It's just look and, 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 and see us, for I am despised. In verse 12, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by, look and see if, if there's any sorrow like my sorrow which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted in a day of his fierce anger. Right? So the Lord did this to them in this day of, of wrath because of their sin. It was warned to them for generations. But all the neighbors now mock them. Edom mocks them. Egypt mocks them. They're the passerbys. They don't see. They don't help. They're left alone under the judgment of God. And verse 13, from on high he sent fire into my bones, he made it descend. He spread a net for my feet, he turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. Oh, when our law stuns us, right, leaves us numb to the world. My transgressions were, were bound into a yoke by his hand. They were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. So that's, of course, Babylon. But here's that honest confession. And so I, I brought, oh, I borrowed from Scott Brundage, an actual yoke. You guys don't seem impressed by this, but if you knew how heavy it was, you would be, all right? And, and so, you know, you put the oxen in, in, in here, right? And, and they're now yoked, right? And they can't, they have to go where one goes. And so, you know, Scott asked me, are you going to use this in a negative connotation? I'm like, I 
the Bible's using it in a negative connotation, all right? So, but, but it, it can be positive or negative. It's really just the image of, of being in, tied up. And you see what, what the, the writer of Lamentations is saying is because of my sin, I'm tied to it, and God has judged me in that. And that's, it's like I'm, I'm enslaved more than, worse than being enslaved in exile in Babylon, but enslaved to my sin, to my disobedience, to my rebellion to God that I thought God was just going to ignore forever, and, and he, he's not, right? And so there's that image, beautiful poetic image, and sorry, Timmy, about tripping you up like that, uh, of, of a yoke. And he continues, the Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. It's the scene of their armies destroyed, like a winepress, right? You know what color that is. And that's the poet given the scene that he saw of the carnage in the battlefield that just happened. Uplifting, right? But sometimes it's not about ignoring the pain. Because it'll come out in inappropriate ways. It's like I, I say, you know, uh, I'm not even, I don't want to deal with it because I can't fix it. And next, next thing you know, I'm snapping at my wife and kids and I'm impatient with all of you. And why? Because I'm not dealing with the pain. That's why it's so healthy for our soul. We've got to cry out sometimes. We've got to do this and learn that it, it is a good thing to do. And so he, he continues for these things. Make sure I'm right here. I gotta change the. Uh, that looks so beautiful. We're in verse eighteen. Hold on. It's a great um, thing to look at in the screen, but when I look at my slides, I cannot read this at all. So I'm like, "Am I uh, good here?" Okay. So um, verse sixteen. For these things, I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. I know you guys are all thinking, he's completely lost. It's okay. 15. This is Steve's fault, but he's in quarantine, so I can't blame him. All right. That's 18. That should be 17. Okay, ready? Zion stretches out her hands. There is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The personified woman is in shameful grief again. But again, it's confession. Right? It's, it's confession. And verse um, 18, the Lord is in the right. That's critical to confession. No matter how painful it is, no matter how desperate I am, the Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. So it's this weird, like, I am suffering, right? But I deserve it, <laughs> so, right? It's like, so should I lament? And the answer is yes. This is in the Bible. That, that there is still a lamentation of the suffering even when it's confession, that, that, that this was what God promised to, to happen. The Lord is in the right. He says, I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revile, to, the, to revive their strength. 
Look, and there it is again. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In, in the house, it is like death. Right, so again, you're right, God. You pour out your wrath upon me. I deserve it, but look. Look again to me. You see how that works? Like, like, like you are doing the right thing, but it hurts, and, it, and it's suffering, and it's painful. Will you look upon us in your grace, and in your mercy, and in your love and compassion? I know that you're God, not just of judgment, but of mercy. Right, that's what this poem's all about. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them. So as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions, for my groans are many and my heart is faint. The end. Isn't that wonderful? Have a good night, everybody. But again, it's good for the soul. Lament, to, to lament is good. Not all the time, right? There's a place for it. There's a place for joy. There's a, a place for celebration. But there is a time, like Solomon wrote, a time for everything, right? And there is a time, especially when you're going to times of confusion or sorrow or, well, you know, there just is. And, and as I said when we, 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 we began, our, our Americanized Western 21st century way of thinking is that you can fix this, right? Fix it, pastor, just fix it. And how belittling to your grief that think I can fix it with one sentence. I've learned a long time ago after spent countless hours with families next to gravesides and in funeral homes and in churches and meeting a, a couple in a hospital room after they just found their young adult son who committed suicide. You can't fix that. You can't fix it. Right? We, we look at what's going on right now. All the unrest and pain with pandemic and political upheaval and we're going to fix that? Like, we're, we're, how is, do we think there's an easy answer to that? And that's why it gets us even more frustrated because we're Americans. There's got to be an app for that. Let's get this done. I've got to get this movie over in an hour and a half. You're right? It's like I don't have time for this. And yet that's not how the world works. That things are slow and sometimes they won't be fixed. And yet we can look to God. It is good for our soul to cry out to him, not necessarily to each other. Because when we, when we, when we don't cry out to him, when we don't deal with it, what do we do? As Americans, what do we do? We run from it. We avoid it. And we can't. It chases us down. The sadness and the grief and the pain. It, it finds us wherever we are. But we run. We run to, to try to avoid it. It's not really there, Right? Or we run to numb the pain, drugs, alcohol, nicotine, pornography, sex, uh, even healthy hobbies that are fine in their place. But we just, if I just do it and we just swim in it to try to avoid the pain and the grief, and we never actually deal with it with God. And it's not healthy to do that, right? It's not a healthy way. Lamentations teaches us that there is a place. I know funeral home directors for obvious reasons. And, and, not, and this has nothing to do with COVID. This is, goes now a number of years. There's been this weird transformation that's taken place in our culture. More and more families, while they have to deal with funeral homes, um, 
you know, with body dies, someone in, in their family, they're not doing services. I mean, plenty are, but all, more and more, it never was even thought of to not do something. A church service, a funeral home service, a graveside service, a family gathering and mourning together. They're trying to pretend it's not there, but it is, right? That's our culture now, and I think a lot of that's because a lot of less people are religious, but it's not healthy. It's hard to grieve and mourn and, and lament together, but it's so good for our soul. It's so important, so important that God has it in his word, right? The thing is, as we think about our laments right now, it, it's a, a, a corporate lament. So there's individual laments here within the corporate, but there's shared lament that we all have, right? Especially right now. If I was preaching this sermon a year ago, you'd probably be like, I don't really get it. But you do get it, right? We all have these things that we're all, it's affecting us, but individually, yes, but also shared. And, and so we can kind of collectively come and lament together, right, like this was meant to do. The Jews used lamentations powerfully throughout the history, like 70 AD when Rome crushed the temple. It happened again several centuries after lamentations was written. They used that, the 1940s of Nazi Germany. Lamentations was so important to the Jews to read and to fast and to cling and to lament. Where are you, God? Why? Right? Why is this happening? Why does it hurt so bad? And, and it has to happen. It's, it's so healthy to do that. If, if, if we're just being honest from an incredibly biblical perspective, we have to understand we live in a culture that has run from God. We have run from God. And I say we because you and I like to do something. We like to sit over here and say, well, yeah, I'm not doing it. We're part of this culture. So it's a we. Lamentations, this whole Babylonian thing, there was a remnant of godly people. And they still experienced this judgment. And you say, I don't know about that. Have you ever heard of Daniel? It's a godly man right there. I'm sorry. Like, that guy is hard to live up to. He lived in that time and lived his whole life in Babylon because he was part of the, ju the judgment of God. So whether, I'm not saying all of us are, are agree with everything. I'm just saying we're a part of it. And we've maybe added to it, or we, there's things we haven't done. Or do, it's just, we are a collective, this is where we live. This is who we are. And we are swirling like a toilet bowl. We just are. And, and it's not just going to be a quick fix, right? But we can lament, not on Twitter, to God, right? Because maybe there isn't a fix. Maybe there is. And if there is, it's going to be God. So it's so healthy for us to, to, to put our lamentations, our frustrations to the right place, Almighty God. And in this case, it's confession, right? Confession. I won't completely read it again, but remember, just a couple of many places we just saw, the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. We've sinned, God. And of course, my favorite in 18, the Lord is in the right for I've rebelled against his word. Right, that's the collective city has rebelled. There were godly people in that city, but in general, that city has run from God and they're paying the price of his wrath. And so we can look in similar ways. We're not Jerusalem, we're not God's chosen people, but we are a nation and we are a culture 
that has spit in the face of God. And at some point, I'm no prophet. I can't tell you, oh, COVID is, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you. I'm not Jeremiah. What I'm going to say is it might be. The things happening could be God saying, I'm done. Or you better wake up. I don't know. All I know is all we can do is look to him and say, what do we do? What do we do? And, and confession in the lament recognizes God is right and we are wrong. Again, we're Americans. This is so hard. Unless you're a husband, you can say, honey, I was wrong. You're usually pretty good at that. You don't mean it, but you say it. But do me a favor, right? Just, just speak it out loud, right, with me. On the count of three, say, God, you are right. I am wrong. Ready? One, two, three. God, you are right, I am wrong. Let's do it one more time. God, you are right, I am wrong. Doesn't that feel good? I'm never wrong. We are, and, and, and we're in the wrong. And, and if that's a, a me personally, yep. Is that us? Yep. Is that as a culture? Yeah. In every way, shape, or form? No. But we, we, we have to acknowledge, even when it's, it's, it's this, this wrath being bored out, that God is always right. So whatever he's doing and how he's doing it, it's right. And if I don't like it, I can lament to him, but I have to start by confessing it's got to be right because God's doing it, right? And that's hard because we feel so much pain. You lose someone you love. It's hard to say that was right, right? That's a hard thing to say, but it is because God is right, and we can still, though, he doesn't say, shut up, I'm right, go in the corner and stop, put a smile on your face. It's not what he does. He invites us, even though we should acknowledge he's right, to cry out to him, to lament, to say, please, God, look at us again, right? Look. And so that's uh, the next part of um, this l- lamenting that I want us to see is uh, the, the idea of that confession isn't just recognizing right and wrong, but it's looking to God alone for help, right? It's behold my affliction, right? And if you, you, you remember, look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. Look, see, behold, right? So confession looks to God alone for help. I love his prayer confession, which I already mentioned. It's not, God, this is what we need, and we give him the list, right? That's not happening here. He's not like, we need Babylon to do this, we need this, and God, and it's fine to be specific in prayer. There's plenty of other scriptures to support that. But in this case, sometimes you're in so much pain and so much I don't know what to do, you have no words, right? And so all he says to God over and over again is look, right? Just look at us again, God. You, you're right to be angry, and you're right to pour your wrath, but just look, see us again. I remember a number of years ago being in my office with a married couple that were literally on the verge of divorce. So painful. And, uh, and the wife had, had really done some stuff. They both had, but really had done some stuff. He'd say, man, he, he has a right to be angry. And, and they were there, and you could just see arms crossed and the, the, the look of just anger, hurt. And, and his wife was kind of talking and, and crying, and then she just looked at him. She just said, 
I just want you to look at me like you did when we first got married. Painful moment, but that's exactly what's happening here. Is I want you to see me again in your grace. I want you to see me as your people. That's what we want, God. Even though we deserve this, it's confession, but not without answers. It's confessing, knowing that he is good and he is right. And, And we can ask him, even though we deserve him to, to, to put his wrath on us, we can ask him to look at us. And so some of you, man, some of you just need to pray, see me, God, when you're in that valley. You know, I don't know. So sometimes we stop praying because, well, we don't know what to say. We feel like we've said it all. So just groan and say, help, see us, watch over us, behold us again in your grace, in your mercy. So before we go, what, where, where does that leave us? The, the, the writer of Lamentations didn't give us a lot of answers. Part of the context, as I said, I think, of Lamentations is, is you should never read Lamentations without the rest of your Bible, right? Because God put it as part of his revelation, so there are answers in other places. But don't do what a lot of Christians do and read your Bibles without revelation and without lamentations, right? So lamentations has an answer, right? And the answer, of course, you know me well enough by now, is the gospel. By the way, I know I joke that pretty much every message ends up the same. And I made a New Year's resolution. I'm going to do it even more, all right? Okay. Boy, that was a golf clap, but thank you for that. I appreciate it. So, so you think, all right, well, how's the answer to the gospel? And, 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 and specifically in that limit, I want you to see something. I want you to see, um, again, verse 12. And you might remember this verse about the passerbys, right? Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. So this idea of alone in my sin and the passerbys just mocking me and not coming to comfort. And I don't know about you, but that immediately reminded me of, I'm turning now to Matthew 27, when Jesus is on the cross. It says, and two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. The passerbys mocking him. Now, okay, Jamie, what does that have to do with lamentations? Well, on that day, on that cross, Jesus was literally suffering under the wrath of God for sin. That's what he was doing. Right? That's exactly what he was doing. And he was alone, and there was no comforters to be found. For he was on the cross for sin. And it was just, and it was good, and it was right. What, to be on Jesus? No, to be on the sin, because it was mine, it was yours. Is every time you've lusted and every time you've lied and every time you've gossiped and every time you've been selfish and every time you've intentionally hurt someone and every, you name it, all of those things in the room, all of us have, Jesus was paying for them in full as God's just, righteous, fierce anger poured out on him. That's what was happening. Now, skip a few verses later, very familiar to you. We read it a lot on Good Friday. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land till the ninth hour. 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if anyone ever says, you're a Christian, you should be happy, you should never lament, just say, Jesus did. That's good enough for me. Jesus lamented over Jerusalem. Jesus lamented at at Lazarus' uh, tomb. Jesus lamented even on the way to the cross to the daughters of Jerusalem. And Jesus lamented literally on the cross. As he quotes Psalm 22.1, this is a lament, right? And he asks the question, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew exactly why. He knew what he was doing, so why lament? Exactly what we're talking about tonight. You know why you're there, but it hurts so bad. Cry out to God. Lament to God as Jesus is in that darkness, and that's an artistic rendition of it, but that physical darkness was a portrayal of God's wrath that poured out from God in his fierce anger on his own son instead of you and me. You see, the gospel is the answer to our laments. The gospel is the answer to every single one of our laments. We ask God why we, we, we lament to him and in our laments today to God. The gospel's the answer to every grief. The gospel's the answer to every sorrow. The gospel's the answer to every loneliness. The gospel's the answer to every cruel word. The gospel's the answer to every cruel thought. The gospel's the answer to every frustration of nothing is working out. The answer is found in Christ. And so though the writer of Lamentations didn't know that, we do. We have that benefit of enjoying that lament, of learning the goodness of our soul, but then realizing it finds its answer not in waiting for God, but knowing he's already acted. That yes, it's just, and yes, It's right, and yet the mercy and the grace found in the forgiveness of God Almighty. That when we pray, look, O God, see us, he did, and he does, even in your sin, because it's been paid in full. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, I want us to close, to practice. Don't worry, I'm not going to get you all in groups or anything like that, crying out to God. But I'm going to invite our worship team forward. Um, I'll get out of their way so they can play a little background music. But I'm going to just lead us in specific laments, not long, prayers, and then give you uh, a minute or two to privately add to that. Okay? And so I'm going to specifically um, kind of do a corporate lament about the loss that we're all experiencing right now in this pandemic. But I'm also going to lead us in a lament of our sins. And so there's many here, and you'll have that opportunity to just lay it before the Lord. And lastly, I want us to look at the gospel. So if you want, you can just close your eyes or whatever's most comfortable to you to be able to focus on this prayer. I don't want us to just learn the importance of lamentations. I want you to learn how good it is for your soul. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge together
all of us are so tired of many of the things happening around us, the pandemic with the virus and unrest, anger and fighting, the loss that's brought God, the grief, the angst, depression, division. Lord, we're so tired of it. Father, we confess that this, among other things, may be your judgment, and if it is, it is right and good. We are in the wrong, and you are in the right. Father, we lament before you that our country and our culture has run for you, and we have played a part in that. We are part of it. We confess, Father, as sin, and deserve whatever it is that you decide. But we are broken. We are broken. And we ask for your help. Look upon us again, God, with your grace. Look upon us again with your favor and blessing, your mercy and love. In Jesus' name, we ask for your forgiveness. We do not deserve, but by your grace. See us, Lord. See us, God. Behold us and help us. Jesus' name. Take a minute and add your own personal laments to that. Father, Father God, in this room there are many sins, and we confess those tonight. You know all too well there's lies here, there's lust here, there's selfishness here, there's hatred and bitterness, gossip, affairs, occult behavior that you abhor in this room. There's bullying, past and present. Father, we confess tonight we're in the wrong and you're in the right. We're running to things, hobbies, things money can buy. We're running to drugs or alcohol or nicotine. We're running to pornography, surface relationships. We ask for you to look upon us in your grace and mercy and forgiveness tonight. 
Jesus' name. Take time for your own personal laying before the Lord. Things that you have done, it's just between you and him. God, we call upon you to look at us in our sin and our brokenness and rebellion. And even though we deserve judgment, remind us again tonight of the gospel, your answer. Where Jesus took your wrath and shed his blood so that we can stand a new life again, so that we might be restored. We can cling tonight to your grace and your peace in the name of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven because of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, look upon us and restore us and strengthen us as we go forth to be more like Jesus Christ. Ask it in his name. For this time, if you're already a Christian, it's time to just meditate on the cross and the gospel, what it means to you personally and thank him cling to that grace. And if you're not, tonight can be a time where you just simply confess his name and know the forgiveness found in the cross and resurrection of Christ. All you have to do is say, Jesus, save me. Save me from my sin and shame for all of eternity. Come into my life and save me. Take that time now.
men before him. We're not used to that. It's a good practice to think about him and to sit quietly. Now put the pressure of prayer throughout your week and just, what do I say? How do I say it? Just be with God. Father, I thank you for the willingness of our church to go through something like this that is not easy. Pray you'd encourage each person in this room in the gospel. You are their answer. You are their savior. You are their Lord. You will always look upon us in your grace because you are good. And that we might worship you because you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The last song is about God being holy. He deserves our praise. Let's stand and sing.